I'm Tash McGill, and this is Faith in the Time of Corona with Newstalk ZB. I'd like to introduce my colleague Frank Ritchie. He's more than my colleague, he's my friend and has perhaps the most unique role in the New Zealand media today. He's an ordained minister and runs a church called Commoners in Hamilton. He also hosts Total Recall on Newstalk ZB on Sunday nights. And if that wasn't enough to keep him busy, he also works as a media chaplain, providing comfort, guidance and care for anyone who is a media professional. As both a broadcaster and minister, he is part of talking about the news and sometimes he is the news as a representative of faith. Now, over the years that Frank has been in the public eye, he somehow mastered the ability to be both straightforward and transparent about his beliefs, whilst also being approachable, respected, and called on to comment on matters of faith in the news. I have always found him to be thoughtful and open-minded, willing to consider changing his mind and sharing that process when it happens. So we spoke about how faith in the time of corona is changing as church, how it's changing our society, and how faith in the news will ultimately be impacted by that. Oh, and Tash, I'll take any opportunity to sit down and have a conversation with you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's very, that is, that is very kind. So here we are. It's Easter weekend that we are releasing this uh, this series, and it, it looks as as we've been saying, it, it looks as if the world is headed to, you know, it's moving towards the peak of what we now know will likely be the first wave of the coronavirus uh, and the resulting disease, COVID nineteen. You play a fascinating role both in uh, being a broadcaster yourself and then working in a chaplaincy role with with other journalists, and we'll get to that a little bit um, a little bit later on. But I'm interested to know from your firsthand experience, as the coronavirus story has been unfolding, what have you noticed in your broadcast work and your conversations with people? Probably just this big desire for connection. I mean, we have we have all the social media stuff available, tools like Zoom, Google Hangouts, Facebook. So people people are connecting, but there's this desire for something a little bit deeper. I found through this as well, and because this came so fast, it's not like any of us sat around and started to anticipate. You know, what's going to go on? How can we strategize to meet the needs of people? So it's just been this big this big rush of stuff that has come at come at everybody, faith leaders included. You know, many of us were diving around and the lead up to this, changing our plans for our churches. Uh, Those plans were changing every 24 hours. Um, And I just remember, I remember it being frantic, but in the middle of it, people were looking for connection as well. One of the big things I've noticed through this, and I've never seen it before in my lifetime, is a softness towards spirituality. That might be Christian spirituality, but it could be any any spirituality. People have been asking big questions. And I think it's it might be partly because we want some stability in the middle of all this, all of this change. And if if religion or faith offers anything, it's probably a sense of stability. You know, the Christian story is a couple of thousand years old. It's endured. So it must have something to offer in the middle of this, I think some people think. Uh, and so they're turning to voices, I, I reckon, that they feel like are open to having that conversation. Voices that aren't going to judge them, voices that aren't out there going, look, this is happening because you're stuffed, the world is all wrong, and this is God's judgment. They're looking for voices who they think can speak into what they're feeling at the moment. I've not seen anything like it before. 
And where are you, where are you seeing that? Obviously, you know, online as we all kind of move even further into this digital world of virtual connection. But uh, I mean, you host a show on ZB on Sunday nights. Uh, you know, is is it has it peripherated all of the audiences? Do you think? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I mean, media engagement at the moment is through the roof. Advertising dollars for for private media entities is is bottomed out. Uh, so the rules have changed. Like the ratings are through the roof, which would usually come with advertising dollars, but it's completely the other way. And we're at a stage at the moment where on Sunday evening, we effectively turn the mic on, start talking, and people start calling. Uh, every plan that we've had for a show has pretty much gone out the window from the beginning because people just want to talk about what they want to talk about. And I think it comes from that sense of desiring to be connected, but also wanting to be heard in a time where they feel like, feel somewhat powerless, like power has been taken away. You know, we're all shoved into our house. We have to follow these rules. We can't do whatever we want. So power has been stripped away somewhat. So the ability to call up a show like ours and just be heard, even if it's moaning and ranting, uh, is a deeply human, is a deeply human thing. And I know that Talkback is known for that, but I think it's one of the beauties of Talkback, that democratization of conversation and people feeling like they get the chance to be heard a little bit. Do you think that the tone of how we're engaging with audiences, particularly in the space of talkback, is changing? I mean, it's often been known as the place that people go to have a bit of a rant. It's what you tune into if you want to get wound up on your way to work. It's what you, you know, it's definitely, it's definitely not easy listening music to wind down to, you know, a lot of the time. Uh, but what I notice in conversations uh, with people, and particularly online, is this uh, divergence that's happening where people are either becoming much kinder, which I think is connected to some of that softness. They're becoming kinder. They're becoming more gracious. They're they're leaving room for people to be afraid, for people to be um, anxious, for people to be concerned about the future. But they're also some moving towards, you know, an even greater end of, uh, I would say, fear-mongering, of um, complaint, of frustration, you know, of anger. We're not quite American in that we believe that our freedom... you know, is our greatest liberty and the, th- and the thing that defines the value of our community. But it is quite important to us. Um, I'm, I'm interested to understand, you know, from your perspective, what role do you think the media plays now that everybody is locked into a news cycle 24-7? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question because I think the answer to that is diverse. When I think about media being defined as essential services, and that goes from stations that are all about entertainment right through to your stations that are all about news and providing information, I think, I think all of that's needed. Uh, I think the entertainment stations are needed because people are used to listening to them. If that's your daily radio station, you need that stability. You need that anchor point. You need that thing that isn't changing. It stays the same while everything else is a little bit chaotic. I noticed that with our church service on a Sunday morning, uh, because we do a liturgy, the words don't change. They're still the same words through this that we were saying before we went into this. And some of our people have acknowledged that they know it's Sunday morning because at 10 a.m. we were doing those same words when other days they've forgotten what day it is. <laughs> but those words are an anchor point. 
So I think you've got your entertainment media, that is like that anchor point. Then you've got your talkback, which is a mixed bag. Uh, it's always been a mixed bag. It still is a mixed bag. You've got your hosts that are there to critique and to wind things up a little bit. And that critical voice is really needed as well. Then you've got your hosts that are kind of more your friend sitting in the lounge with you having a, a conversation. Both of those play a really important part. And then you've got your radio stations and your television that is just about making sure that people are well informed. Just as it was a mixed bag before, it's a mixed bag now and we still need that mixed bag. There's one important part that uh, that changes the conversation from, say, a global one about the importance of um, the importance of telling the stories of communities. For example, the Jewish families who are not able to celebrate Passover in the same way that they usually would. Uh, the churches that won't gather this Easter weekend. Um, you know, the I think about the tens of thousands of. Uh, high schoolers who had their Easter camps cancelled, along with you know all of the kids who are uh, shut indoors anyway because school's off the table right now. Um, there are so many instances like that where the ritual practices of people's faith, which if even if it doesn't necessarily underpin the entire rhythm of our society, right? New Zealand is definitely post-Christian, it's post-religious in so many respects, and yet for large swathes of community, these are the rhythms that form their routine and therefore form the fabric of their lives. With all of that, you know, being up and down, we might not see it as much here uh, in the media. You know, we there's probably no no better way of describing that tension than to talk about the shutdown of Bauer Media and the the ongoing shrink of the New Zealand media landscape, which. In very practical terms, every editor that I speak to, every uh, producer is is fighting to figure out what are the stories that, that are the most newsworthy, the ones that have to get to the top of the pile. And it's frequently, um, now maybe it's because, you know, they're the important communication that needs to be uh, communicated. Maybe it's because it's a human interest story that's going to keep people engaged. Um, but frequently, stories about you know religion and stories about faith communities, you know, they don't make their way through to the top of the news pile uh, unless you know they're controversial, shall we say? <laughs> uh, what I what I'm getting to, I guess, is that with an ever shrinking landscape here in New Zealand with fewer and fewer places for people to write about stories of faith or to interview uh, people that maybe have insight to offer. What do you see the, the impact or the loss being as we struggle to tell stories that might help our national narrative at this time? Mm. Yeah, I see. I see things like the loss of the listener, and things like North and South with it with its long form writing, uh, Metro. I see those as huge losses for New Zealand because they're our cultural story. Uh, they they helped us identify. They helped to develop our identity, our sense of who we are. And for some people, they'd buy those magazines regularly. Even things like Women's Day and Women's Weekly. You know, they're a staple. They provided again that anchor point, that way for people to interpret the world. That's now gone. Uh, and what we do on the other side of that, I don't, I don't really know. Uh, I know really interesting listening to you talk there about the the stories that trying to decide which stories need to bubble up. And the more 
media limits and the more it gets centralized, uh, the less of those stories are going to bubble up and the more that that question becomes important. As churches, I think we're asking relatively similar questions in a time like this, where our ability to communicate is, is limited, what stories need to bubble up? And the story of Easter is like, it's the central story of Christianity. The story of the crucifixion, the resurrection of Jesus is, is why we Christians exist. Um, it's, it's how we found our beginning. And so asking, asking the same questions, how do we tell that story now in this landscape? Uh, there's something to be grappled with, with there. I, don't, I would like to know what the media looks like on the other side of this. But I don't. And, and that's somewhat scary. And uh, I mean, if it's scary for me, it's really scary for those who have made their livelihood off it. And it's the only way that they know how to how to tell stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that raises for me this interesting role that you have, because as I'd love for you to tell me a little bit about, you know, what does it look like to be a media chaplain? It's a service that's provided by um, CBA and SALT, the organisation that supports you, um, and is part of this broadcasting um, uh, endeavour. What does media chaplaincy look like? How does your role as a as a minister of faith and your experience as a broadcaster come together in that space to support other people? Mm. As someone who has uh, done Christian media and now does ZB, used to work on on Rima Media, I, I dealt, I've always dealt with Christians. And so I know how Christians respond to media. Uh, and often it's not very pretty uh, at all. For a lot of people in media, and I think this is really important for the church to hear, people that I would call my own community, a lot of the, only, a lot of the contact that media people have is ranting and raving emails, quoting Bible verses, telling them they're going to hell, uh, pointing out where they've got everything wrong, or it's their engagement with church leaders who are deliberately baiting them. Uh, and so when that becomes their lens for, for Christianity, uh, the story that gets told about us probably isn't going to be all that good. And it's not because they're hostile. It's because that's the only engagement they've had. So why would we expect them to write uh, better stories about us? And so knowing that Christians have been relatively hostile towards the media and see it as a bit of an enemy, I just think that's a poor way to engage. When I look at uh, my faith story, the story of the one that I follow, Jesus, I don't think he would engage like that. I think if if there was someone that was considered the enemy by his community, he'd probably jump in and work out how how to serve them. So that's effectively what we did. We looked at the media landscape, a place that we care about, a place that we engage in with a whole bunch of people that we've always liked and said, how could we do this better? And getting in and serving and just going, look, uh, we want to know, we want you to know that you're seen and that you're heard, uh, knowing that the storytellers, if they do their job well, generally aren't seen. You'll take the information that they give you, you won't notice the person who's given it to you. But in order to get that information, that person has gone through something. Sometimes that's a positive thing, sometimes it's not. Uh, and when it's not, that has an effect on their, their life. So who's there helping them through that? Who's there being the person that they can trust to sit down and talk to and know that's not going to turn into a story somewhere else? Uh, The answer at the time when we started this, when we looked around was, actually, there's nobody like that. We have an opportunity to to do that. So effectively, media chaplaincy is just sitting down with people who work in the media and letting letting them know that they are supported. And usually it's as simple as a coffee at a cafe and me listening to whatever it is that they want to talk about, whether it be work, 
life, sometimes spirituality, uh, very often not, but it's just that wonderful human-to-human connection. Um, and I think if we value news and we value stories, then looking after those people is critical. So there are some really clear examples. And I mean, the when I think about how small the New Zealand media landscape has become, it is a very small community. Everybody knows each other, basically, you know, within a couple of degrees of separation. And if we think just even in the last f- three years, uh, the mosque shootings in Christchurch, March 2019, the White Island eruption, now COVID-19 and coronavirus, you know, but even dating back the Christchurch earthquakes. I mean, there's there's a lot of, and I don't want to overuse a word that I think it gets overused, but there's a lot of trauma in being mm. on the front line of human experience especially when it's human experience that is related to suffering and related to grief. Um, I know that you um, did a lot of work with with journalists after the mosque shootings. Um, without without divulging people's personal stories, what are the, what are some of the observations that you made out of that time and out of that experience? Yeah, actually, you can hear some of those stories in the Friday Prayers podcast that we did, six of them, and it, it was amazing to sit down and listen to them open up. I, when March 15 happened, I flew down there, was there the, the following morning and managed to catch up with some of them um, in the middle of it. And, and it was hard. You know, these, these were people who were in shock. They were running on adrenaline and they had nobody to process with. Now, most of their organizations are tapped into services that they can call up if they want to. Mm-hmm. Most of them probably won't do it. They need something proactive in the mix that actually goes to them and says, how, how are you doing? So that's what I did. And uh, even sitting down and doing Friday Prayers, that podcast, one year later, to hear a couple of them say that they had never talked to anybody about it since they just kind of moved on to the next job and then the next job. It shouldn't have shocked me, but it did. And I really, I really felt for them that this was their first opportunity to talk. We're sitting down, we're recording an interview for a podcast, and this is their first opportunity to have a chat about it uh, following the events. That's not healthy. Mm. And I know that there's this hardened journalist mentality that says, well, you encounter the trauma and you do the story, you disconnect, you have your black coffee and you move on to the next one. They're human beings. That has an impact. And at some point, that impact is going to leak out somewhere, whether that be relationship breakdowns, it be substance abuse of some kind, it be uh, not being able to sleep, it be health issues, it's going to leak out unless you find some way of processing it. Most of them probably aren't going to call up a counsellor. So having someone like me step into the mix uh, first and be that person where they get to offload, I think is really healthy. And then if I can direct them to counselling, that's even, that's even better. But that ongoing trauma, and for journalists over the last couple of years, it has been immense, Christchurch journalists in particular. But when you consider White Island, you know, we had the Hamilton Press Club as that was playing out. I got asked to lead a minute of silence for that. And now we've got this playing out. They're delivering the information during this uh, coronavirus lockdown, but they're all feeling the stress of the change just like everybody else is whilst trying to do their job and get hammered by the public too who needs a scapegoat. And for many of them, the media gets to be the scapegoat. 
And I think that's a, an unfortunate piece of culture that perhaps we're adopting from a more global perspective that doesn't necessarily hold true here. You know, this assumption that that the media is perhaps not to be trusted or that there's some, you know, overarching angle. What's been fascinating about doing this particular series is having the conversations with uh, journalists who are much more on the front lines of the coronavirus reporting, uh, journalists who are based in Washington, based in New York, who are seeing for themselves the enormous chaos of uh, ambulance sirens running day in and day out on the streets of these major cities as they're shut down, as people are rushed into hospitals that are overflowing, uh, and as they question not just how will their careers change, but you know, will it be people in their families, will it be people in their immediate circles who are also um, suffering with the disease? Uh, I think what makes that particularly relevant here in New Zealand is that whilst we may not and we hope not to see the drastic and devastating impact of the virus um, that's being seen in places like New York and places like Italy and Spain. Um, we will feel the impact in job loss, in economic loss, in families that are, you know, irrefutably changed because of, as we know, you know, domestic violence that's been on the increase as we've been in this lockdown period. There's, there's so much that might emerge and bubble up out of the New Zealand story. And and what, one of the things that I wonder, particularly in the space of losing avenues like the New Zealand listener, knowing that as the economic uh, impact starts to roll out, other media agencies are already being impacted and affected. Um, the question that I have, uh, and I think it's a great one for, for you, is um, what role can you see the New Zealand media playing in helping us as a country to process and to move forward and to manage, you know, even the next few weeks of lockdown? Yeah, I, I think coming out of this, I think there are identification of voices that are responsible that have actually have something worthy and valuable to offer into the mix. Their ability to draw those voices in and share those voices and amplify those voices is going to be really important. So they can draw on voices, for instance, that might give you a bit of clickbait, but actually offers nothing into the conversation. Or they can find the voices and give them, give them a platform, those voices that will help stabilize people. It will give people a, a way through. So the right experts on viruses, for instance, is extremely important. And I actually think there's a role for faith leaders here as well. Faith leaders who can get past the idea that we need to get everybody believing the same thing that, that we do, making sure that all their belief ducks are lined up in a row. And rather, faith leaders who recognize the deep humanity of everybody and understand how to speak to that humanity no matter where somebody's at in order to offer value to, to their journey. Uh, and I think political leaders, you know, do you go after the political story that's a little bit salacious at the moment, or do you give the platform to political leaders who can stabilize things and help people through? Their ability to identify those voices and bring them into the mix beyond the journalist who just tells the story, I think is going to be really important. There was a fascinating conversation emerging in social media over the last few days uh, because New Zealand is doing something that we've previously not seen. The the live updates, 1pm every day, the Prime Minister, the Director General of Health, Ashley Bloomfield, uh, that's not been something that New Zealand as a whole has been exposed to. Our our experience of the, the political or the government press briefing uh, has been largely restricted to uh, watching what I like to call America's 
Orange Stand-Up Comedy Hour, um, which is effectively <laughs> the White House press briefing that happens every, you know, that currently is happening every day. Um, this is, it's, it's a first for us to be seeing, uh, you know, the leaders of, uh, of both, you know, the, the political aspect of government, um, but leaders of our very serious and very important ministry areas fronting up to the media day after day. And part of what is uh, happening there is that people are seeing inside of the journalistic process in a way that they haven't before. Uh, so, for example, um, people have been complaining on Twitter about seeing the same question asked over and over again, um, asked in different ways, asked by different people, why are we revisiting the same subject? And the conversation has started to happen around what does it mean when actually the the craft of journalism, you know, making sure that you ask the question just enough time so that you get the soundbite you need for the piece that you're working on, or so that you get the clarity, or so that you get, you know, the answer to the question that you know is stupid, but you want to have the person who's in charge saying that is a stupid question and it doesn't deserve an answer, as happened, you know, with Jacinda uh, this week and the, the coronavirus 5G conspiracy theory. Um, what do you, what are your thoughts on what that means for journalism? Because it's it's exposing journalism in a way that that we haven't seen it before, in a way that the public hasn't had that view in to to examine, you know, the storyteller as well as the story. Yeah, this this is where I think one of the practices that I have with our liturgy at, at my church at Commoners, uh, I think I think it plays over here. So rather than changing the language that I use, for instance, I, I use the word sin when we talk about our confession, but I explain that often. If I know that there are people there who, for whom that might be jarring, I explain what I believe that means. And then as we go through the different bits of our liturgy, I don't change it. I just explain it. I go, here's why we're talking about this. Here's how I, how I understand it. By and large, it lands for people. I think that's what journalists need to do here because in order to, this craft has been honed over years. So it's not like they can just turn on a dime in a public press conference and change the questioning because they're probably not going to get what they need to get if they change, but they can explain. So it might not happen in the press room, but you've just done it and you've just done it wonderfully. You've just explained why those questions get asked over and over and over by different people from different angles. And one person might ask multiple questions, but it's only going to land in one story. Uh, you've just explained it. So I think journalists have a real opportunity here to help the public understand their craft as well. Now, Twitter is this kind of thing all on its own. So I don't think it necessarily represents the best of New Zealand or even most New Zealanders, uh, but it is an indicator of how people are responding to what's going on. It's a bit of a barometer. So I think journalists have a wonderful opportunity here to explain themselves to the public, just as I would on a, on a Sunday. Is there one particular story or theme or idea that resonates that you that you think will come to light out of the end of this, knowing that we have right now, you know, uh, journalists who are going through the hard slog of, if nothing else, they have to report on the same story day in, day out right now. There's barely anything else making the news. As we already know, you know, sports is a done deal, which, you know, frankly, I don't know, did it deserve 20 minutes in our news lineup every night? I don't know. It's hard to it's hard to say. But, but what I'm saying is this, you know, we... 
journalism is important because it captures a what's in, what's important and what's going on, but it also captures our culture and our history as it's unfolding. Right? It's something that we actually get to look back on to say, oh yeah, that's what was going on then, and that's all happening for us at a time when the industry itself is under pressure like never before, and it was already under pressure before Corona hit. Mm. We have people facing, you know, a hard time of reporting and and a potential endless. There's there's no real date in sight as to when we know that we're going to move from alert level four to three to two to four to three to who knows how that's going to go for the future. And and then on the other side of that, you know, people dealing with their with their own uh, limitations, with their own fears, with their anxieties. What's your takeaway for the role of faith in the news? now in the time of corona but also in the future when we've moved beyond this yeah that's a that's a really good question going back to your mention of jacinda uh our, our wonderful prime minister and ashley doing their doing their daily updates i once heard someone told me once that the role of leadership is to drive out fear uh, drive out fear from teams so that teams can thrive and do exactly what you employed them to to do if I've tried to do anything up to this point in the whole coronavirus thing and all the interviews that I've done, it's that, it's that desire to drive out fear. So, you know, I put on the smile, I do the dumb dance on, on video just to give people a little bit of a laugh. If I'm interviewed, I'm, I'm aiming to be the warm guy because I, I want the church to not be afraid, but then I want the church to be a stabilizer for other people as well. So I think the role of faith and media, and specifically, more importantly, the role that, that I have, uh, if I think about what I can do, it's the driving out of fear. It's sitting down with people and going, you know what, I hear you. This is really tough. You're going to be okay. And you've got what it takes to, to do this. I think if anybody has the ability to offer that in a wider sense within the media and our wider culture, it's people of faith, whether it be uh, people like myself who are Christian, Islam has the same, the various religions that have been around for a very long time who have been there, done that, essentially. Our faith story, if we know our history, has been through some massive ups and downs that show the best of humanity and the worst of humanity. We have the ability to say, we're going to get through this. What we have to get past is our desire for everybody to be like us. That's where faith leaders keep tripping up is that desire to try and control how people believe and what how they behave. That uh, just completely misses the point of, of, I think, the beauty that we have to offer, whether it be within media or wider culture. You know, I'd love to be everybody, everybody to be on board with the same story that I'm into, but they're not going to be. So what value can I offer to them when they're not going to get on board with the story that I believe in? I think all faith leaders need to ask that question. We've touched on it a little bit, the changing or the adaptation or, as I've been calling it, you know, the bend of ritual, that we have these these faith practices. We also have these rituals that are actually tied into, you know, birth and death and marriage and family formation and the way that we structure our lives. And, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully not for too much longer, but there were, there were weddings that were cancelled in the face of New Zealand's lockdown. And there are funerals that are not able to be held and there are families that are not able to be together for a variety of other illnesses and sickness right because we're in a COVID-19 lockdown how do you see our society adapting to changes in those rituals uh, which have often largely been formed out of faith traditions in the past 
Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I think there's a lot of change and adaptation that's going on at, even outside of this. You know, once upon a time, you would have your church and you'd have your wedding in a church. That's no long, that no longer has to be the case. Uh, you could do it in an office somewhere with a couple of witnesses. So I, I think our culture is used to adapting and changing, but it, it likes to do it uh, more slowly. Whereas this has been a rapid thing. And in amongst that, the hardest, the hardest one of those that I think to grapple with is the funeral. You know, a wedding, you might have sunk a lot of money in, but it can still be postponed. Or I know a whole bunch of people who rushed their wedding just beforehand. There's some beautiful stories there that still need to be uh, told of these kind of down and, and earthy weddings that took place really, really quickly with just the people's loved ones. I think we showed something about what a wedding can be without all the thousands of dollars that people feel like they have to spend. We remembered that actually wedding's not about all those, all those big things. It's about love and it's about community. And among there, though, funerals are the hardest. And I have, I have no great answer for that because that, if, if any of them have broken my heart, it's the funeral and people not being able to be present and to grieve. And I think some of our older cultures, I think about Māori and Pacifica cultures, for instance, they just have deep, rich things that I would not want to see changed. So I think, uh, yeah, I have no great answer for that one. That's the one that breaks my heart. Um, if I think about if I think about our church rituals, though, for instance, coming into a time like Easter, which is our biggest time of the year, you know, I'd traditionally have this thing called the service of shadows, where people would gather in a darkened church with a few candles lit, would do some Bible readings. The candles would would get blown out, then would be sitting in darkness together at the end. That's deeply powerful. I'm going to do that online, uh, but it's not going to come across anywhere near near as well as it would in a in a church or Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday, I'm going to find uh, hard because there'd be the church service, but then we'd do the lunch. And the lunch is like, that's church. People gathered together and eating a meal together and laughing and crying and sharing their stories. That's not going to happen. And for me, that's the hardest part. So in terms of changing rituals, this is going to sound frivolous. But one of the things that I found hardest to grapple with was, do I like the Christ candle? at dawn on Easter Sunday morning, because traditionally it would get blown out on the Friday night, then it would get lit at dawn on the Sunday morning, and there'd be a bit of liturgy and prayer and stuff around that. I thought about waiting to light that till the end of the lockdown when we could gather together again. It's actually a really big deal. But just in the last couple of days, I've thought, you know what? The story of the resurrection happened in the middle of chaos, uh, and we need to see we need to see that life can still bust forth in the middle of what we're going through. So I will be, uh, again, probably at just my kitchen table with a candle at dawn in silence, lighting that candle on a camera as the sun comes up to say, actually, this isn't ideal, but life is still here. Uh, and I think that's not just the Christian spirit, that's the human spirit coming out, that where times are tough, we have the ability to find life, we have creativity, we see truth, beauty and goodness. Uh, and I, whatever has to change, I trust the human spirit to be able to find those things. You can tune into Frank on Total Recall each Sunday on Newstalk ZB from 6pm and you can find him on Twitter at Frank Ritchie. Thanks for coming on this journey into faith in the time of corona. There is still so much that is unknown. There are still weeks left in lockdown and there are still stories to be told about how our world will change and how we will adapt. The scars and the success that we're left with will need rituals of celebration, rituals of grief and moments of comfort. 
Throughout human history, religion has often formed the backbone of this. And now, as the world confronts this virus and is shaped and changed by it, religion is right at the centre of the story because there are people there. I'm left with these observations, that understanding each other is crucial, now more than ever, and that hope is equally important. The news is really capturing history as it happens, as well as our response to it. And if our collective but diverse faith and spirituality can provide a tradition and ritual that helps, as well as insights for how we move forward, then that's newsworthy, because ultimately they are human stories, they are our stories. If you would like to talk about anything in this podcast, reach out to me on Twitter or online at Tash McGill. If you enjoyed this conversation, please share it. This series was made with the support of New Zealand On Air as part of the Easter programming on Newstalk ZB.